Word of God gives us the truths that we need in our life, right? Well, in the book of Colossians, we have considered the uh, supreme cosmic fullness of who Christ is. The supremacy of Christ and that He created and uh, He sustains. And He sustains it by His power. The whole universe is sustained by Him, right, even right now. And we've examined the, the implications of uh, the fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ is to be put in our lives. That's the very fullness that He creates with and sustains with. So that Christ who created also lives in us. And He wants us to have fullness in every area. And so that's where we went into the area of the new man. And so we have been studying on that the last few weeks. And really from here on to the rest of the book, we'll be dealing with the new man. And uh, it's very practical. And when we were dealing with the subject last week, it was how to put Christ in our life in worship. At the time of worship, how are we to respond as far as relations are concerned in uh, the worship of God? And of course, we have to have first, what? The Word of Christ richly dwelling within us. And if we have that, that means we have the Holy Spirit who is filling our lives as it says in Ephesians 5. So with the Word of God and the Spirit of God, we have the fullness of God in the person of Christ. And in that, we are here to teach each other, admonish each other, to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving as we dealt with that passage last week. And um, as we worship and offer all of this up to God, we are doing it in the fellowship of other believers. What a privilege. What an honor. What a blessed experience it is. I can't think of anything better. Can you? There's nothing better when God's people come in truth and in spirit and are able to relate that uh, So we continue with a relational aspect. Um, Not only are we to have relations in the church, but there are other aspects that we are to have relations in, and that would be the home and the workplace. And that's, of course, where our text is today. This is our daily life. Okay, you have worship, worship with people, and then you have your home life. Now, some people are single and live alone. Uh, Others have uh, a spouse. Others don't. Some have kids. Some don't. But your home life is where everything starts and your relationship with the Lord there. And when you have the Word of God and the Spirit of God that's filling your lives, not only on Sunday, but every day, then we can function in the design that God has planned. Now, I would dare to say that the world is doing the things that God has designed and planned, right? Uh, Only in the Word of God can we understand what that is. To have Him, Christ Himself, richly dwelling within us is a phenomenal thought, isn't it? I mean, I, I really can't fathom all that that means, to have the fullness of Christ in me richly dwelling in and it's impossible to live that everyday life where the rubber meets the road, as they say, without the Spirit and the Word and Him controlling our thoughts and to have those relations with people that we're to have as far as God is concerned. But you know, we've all failed. We have failed in our relations with people. We've fallen short in some manner or form. We did that in the past life and we still do. We still fail in those kind of relations. Society exhibits consistently the inability for people to get along. And it doesn't take much to find out what's going on out there in uh, the world as far as people getting along together. Now, you can imagine if we just take our own lives and think about it, you know, in the past and even now, there are sibling rivalries. 
And I've got a feeling somewhere along the line, we'd probably have a good example right back there. Somewhere along the line, those three kids have probably had some kind of disagreement amongst themselves somehow. Just the, the little, three little innocent looking people right there. <laughs> I'm using them as an example because they're not paying attention to me anyway, so I can get away with it. <laughs> and, and, and their parents... Uh-oh, now I've got one of them looking at me. And, and, and their parents are going, yeah, yeah, tell them, tell them. But we all remember, if we had brothers and sisters, we had some kind of little rivalry going on. And then, of course, you had the breakup of marriages, and we know how that is in the world, and we know about crimes. People just aren't treating others right. And then, of course, international confrontations, the, the wars that are going on. It, the, the, the world every day is consistently showing how sinful they are just by their relationships. Come on, can't we just all get along? No, <laughs> we can't. We can with the power of Christ. But uh, it won't happen until Christ comes back. What's the problem? Well, it's, a call, it's called man being apart from God. Man being alienated from God. Well, we who are Christians, who now have the power of God, we are not alienated because we have Christ richly dwelling within us. The presence of Christ is there. And so, anyway, this root problem is selfishness. We all still battle that. The, the The worldly way is to satisfy your own needs. Get that met, whatever it is, whatever the cost. You don't really care about that other person. You yourself is what uh, the concern is to get those needs met and the happiness from there. Uh, when one becomes a Christian, those things cease to exist. Those The alienation and satisfying our own needs and selfishness. See, the new man that we've been talking about is a child of God. Hey, even better, he's a child of the King. He's a fellow heir with Christ. He's an heir of all the things in creation. He's a beloved child of the Heavenly Father. Boy, isn't that encouraging. And we see that we have a relationship with Him. And Christianity is very personal. Personal with Christ. It's personal with others. It's very relational, isn't it? You can't just be a Christian and then get away from everybody. We are together in this. And Christianity now can show the world how this is supposed to work. And the only way that it can work. We can impact society. We're not going to impact all of society. We're not going to change the world, but we'll change it as much as God changes it as He uses us individually and then as the church. The church is the salt and the light. We have the truth. We have the Word right here. And the light shines through us when we're filled with His Spirit and truth. And it just can't help but leak out. (laughs) Bibline, as Spurgeon said. You know, if um, uh, somebody were to prick him, uh, instead of blood coming out, it would be the Bible. He would believe the Bible. That's being full of Him. We're to influence things around us for Christ, as Christ is in us. And we do that basically through everyday relationships. What an opportunity we have. So, Christianity has made impacts on social reform. You hear about social reform? Well, there is a true social reform. God uses the church to do that. And if you look down through history, you'll find out that's exactly what He has done and is even doing right now. Uh, In our Wednesday night uh, Bible studies, we've been talking about through history of the church how God has impacted society by the church. And we have kept His truth marching on. And then, of course, you think of the Reformation. Um, During the Reformation... Society was changed drastically in the way that they now lived. And then the Great Awakening had to happen because people fell back in to getting out of God's Word. And uh, as a result of the preaching of Whitfield and uh, Jonathan Edwards, they stressed the truths of God. People's lives changed. Whole towns changed. Tremendous revivals. 
universities were built because of their preaching. What an influence it made that those universities really were seminaries. And then you think of William Wilberforce in the late 1700s as he year after year went into their Congress and tried to convince them of abolishing slavery. Can't you imagine that? (laughs) Well, that didn't go over very well. But eventually, they abolished slave trade. And American evangelicals were in on abolishing slave trade. Then you had agencies like the YMCA. Boy, is that changed, I guess, in some ways, and uh, the YWCAs, those were all set up, the hospitals, the homes for the poor, the afflicted, the orphans. Who did that? Did the government do it? Well, there might have been a little bit of work in there, but not really. It was basically the church doing those things. The church did those. They were initiated by Christians. And then you think of William Carey, that great missionary, and he worked for the abolition of Get this, widow burning. I'm talking about widows. Not black widows, the spider. <laughs> Women who were widows, they burned them. Child sacrifices. That's the kind of thing that Carrie had to take on. Then missionaries to Africa discouraged polygamy. And they fought slave trade there and built schools and built hospitals there. These are Christians. These are our brothers and sisters from the past who did this. And now you look at our life today and the comforts that we have in this country and in this society. We have great, wonderful, just comforts, just easier to live here than probably anywhere in the world, even even today. But we wouldn't have had those had it not been for those Christians affecting society. So nowhere... Nowhere should the social aspect of the new man be more evident than in the best institution to practice his Christianity in the home and then on out in the workplace or wherever you deal with during the day. There is no place better. The the base institution of them all is the home. The family. That's where it starts. And whether you be one or whether you be many, it starts right there with your own relationship with Christ and then being able to practice that. That's an incredible thing that God has given us. And then we can take it out. But if we can't get it there, and I think history has shown it, the nation is only going to be as good as that foundation of each individual home. And if we don't have it at the home, how can anything else go from there? That's a full basic unit. And so the home is very, very important. And uh, I think in our society, as the home has been obliterated, you can't even, you have to define what marriage is anymore between a man and a woman, um, whether it be the, the sexual things, the, the immorality, uh, abortion, all of those things are connected with the home life and that foundation has been shattered in our country. How did we ever get where we're at when people talk about, I think of one of the worst things, partial birth abortion. How can a country ever get to that point? How did they ever get to widow burning and child sacrifices? <laughs> What's the difference? That's where we're at. Well, Paul, through the Spirit, gives us instructions on how a nation, because of its families, can live the way that God expects. And there are two things that really, I think, stick out in the section that we're dealing with today. It's called authority and submission. And those two terms have been so muddied and blurred over, nobody even wants to talk about them. But it's, it, they're very key. And authority and submission, start, you, you learn it at home. You can't learn it anywhere else because then after the home life, then you take it out 
to work uh, to church then and to the government. It expands everywhere. And with an understanding of authority, then there's what it will be. Can you imagine that in the schools today, school buses, it's hard to practice authority there for they might call... Um, they might call the principal, but they might call the police on you. <laughs> might call the parents on you, and all of a sudden you might have a lawsuit or something, right? Authority and submission. Um, the principles that are found in the doctrine of the Trinity. Authority and submission. No more beautiful example than the triune God where you see that practiced. It's a beautiful thing. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is equal with the Father, yet is one who is under the authority of the Father. And so is the Spirit to the Son and to the Father. And yet they are perfectly in union. Not one is better than the other or higher or more of a deity. But that's the way that He works there. So the home then, being a Christian home, can now reflect what the Trinity looks like. That's an amazing thing. We can show how authority and submission works in the Trinity by our own lives. That's rather difficult. But with the power of the Word and the Spirit, we can do that. So let us see how our lives can make an impact on this dark and dead, corrupt world that's around us, that surrounds all of us. Let's shine that light out of our lives with the love of Christ. On, on the world. Let's, uh, let's read this. Uh, chapter 3, verse 18 of Colossians. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And help us to have understanding of this passage, even though to some it may not even seem to apply right now. Maybe it will in the future, or maybe it will be something that we can use in our own lives to help and counsel. But help your truth just come to life for all of us here. In Jesus' name, Amen. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. We're, as we're going into this uh, text here, uh, it's a very well-known passage. And of course, Ephesians is the same thing after it comes out of being filled with the Spirit. Then it says this after we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And it takes it to the home and then to the workplace. And um, only it goes a little more with depth. Each section has more verses. And Colossians just gives us a, a good overall general outlook on it. Um, we could spend weeks on this, um, but we're not going to do that. We're going to, to move through it. It's something that this church probably hit on many times in its early days. And of course, we've changed drastically since those early days. But uh, some of you might remember when we did these and we did uh, uh, conferences where we would have um, invite other people and for just for teaching what the family was about. And uh, there's so much information on that. And all this week I was trying to figure out how can I make this something that is real to all of us because some of you might be single and saying, uh, I'm not a wife, or I'm not a husband. Maybe I will someday, or I have been that, and I'm not going to be anymore. And you can say, well, I'm, you know, what does this mean? Well, I hope that I can make enough impact. And there are some here that this directly applies immediately. And some of us have kids that have already grown up, and you know, we're not raising kids anymore. So how does that fit in? You know, 
But the Word of God has news for us and instructions constantly, and it always has some kind of meaning. And if we'll dig deep enough. So I've got to put it in a way that will be helpful to all of us, and if nothing else, for something that just reminds us how God's authority and submission works, and if I can ever use that to counsel with. Many times, you probably have had the chance to maybe talk with people who are having difficulties at home, and you turn to Ephesians 5. You you might turn to Colossians here. Ephesians 5 has more stuff to it. Of course, you could turn to Genesis, you can turn to 1 Peter 3, and it shows here's how God has designed this, and this is how it's supposed to be. And so, we have all the answers right here. The world is telling us so many different things. But um, So we'll look at this and try to bring some kind of freshness to it and see how it applies to all of us somehow. Um, wives, be subject to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. First of all, we'll just look at the context real quickly. Remember, this is the Roman world. The Roman world was full of slaves. Uh, it was reported to be by the historians. Half of the population were slaves. And so when it comes to the slave part, we'll, we'll recognize that. We can say, why do you say slaves now? Well, the women were considered to be almost like slaves. And many of them were literal slaves. Uh, the Jewish point of view was that's basically what they were. They were things. They were living things to be used however they wanted to use them as far as the men were concerned, the, the husbands. And so... Uh, he possessed her. He owned her. And as far as the flocks are concerned, she was equal with the flocks. The material goods. That's really what she was to the Jewish husbands. That's, that is not biblical Judaism. That is Judaism and it's humanism. But um, that's one thought. And of course, the Roman world, uh, really, the woman lived a life of seclusion. If she was a reputable woman at all, she would be secluded and kind of put in the background. And all the privileges belonged to the husband and all the duties belonged to the wife. <laughs> and so we have this being addressed. Paul uh, brings this forth. And uh, I think we have a demolishing of a bondage of that. Paul addresses the wife first. Not that she needs to be addressed first, but that's where he starts here. He uses the word subject. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. Not very many times. The word is hupotasso, and it means to be put under, uh, to arrange under, to put yourself underneath, willingly, voluntarily. Uh, That's the thought. I don't know of too many other statements that will rouse the ire of our modern society with all of its right-seeking, power-seeking culture uh, than this. I can't imagine any other statements that would be something that people would start throwing things at me if I was in a different crowd. If I was outside and I just started talking with people, maybe one person, people overhear it, and all of a sudden you're going to get some kind of abuse being hurled at you if you, if you just read this. As soon as you'd say the word subject or be in submission, right? Now, it's a military term. And that sounds bad, but if if you're a colonel and then you have a private, the private is ranked underneath the colonel, but it's not that the private is any uh, less than the colonel and the colonel being better than the private. It's just that's the order and that's the rank. God keeps order, and if He doesn't keep order, what's He going to have? Chaos. And so He says, this is how you keep from having chaos. You know what? If the world knew about this right here and they practiced this, can you imagine what kind of homes we would have? Just starting with this. That's, well, it would. <laughs> it would be uh, It would be amazing. But it, it's people are not filled with God's word and not filled with the truth, and uh, as a whole, um, you know, Christians should be. But uh, we're talking about headship or leadership. There, when you have two people or more than one, you have to have somebody being the head and making decisions. Hopefully, most of the time they'll come up with decisions on uh, that are equal with each other. That's not always going to happen. We know that because we are we are humans. There's a mutual love, though, and a submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And subjection starts with one being filled with the Spirit. Now, whether you're married, not married, whatever, uh, might be married later on down the road, here's the key. Filled with the Spirit. And I've said that probably about at least 15 times by now. Maybe 25, I don't know. But that's what we want to stress. If you have this happening, if you have this subjection that is being practiced, it's the secret of growth and fulfillment. Mutual love and submission creates a a wonderful atmosphere where growth is taken there. And the home now enables both the husband and the wife to become all that God wants them to be. Right there. That's a joyful submission is what it is. It's, It's something that is evidence that a wife belongs to Christ. That's really who she belongs to. Uh, you know, we could turn to the Ephesians 5, it's 22 through 24. I'm not, I'm not going to read that for lack of time. But there it uses the word uh, be subject, hupotasso. You, you look in Romans 13:1, and it says that we as Christians and all people are to be subject to the government, to arrange under, underneath that because they are here to protect. Uh, I think sometimes they have lost that I not to rule over and uh, but you know it's it's called for the people you know by the people but at the same time it's something that protects and makes things better rather than you know getting bigger and then all of a sudden people are in a bondage that's not what he's talking about and then Jesus when he was a little Boy, put himself in subjection to his parents. I think in Luke two fifty one, it might be interesting to to see that there. This is Jesus. Hey, that's the that's the band. That's a recording of the band. I know that. I, I recognize those guys. And Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. As mother treasured all these things in her heart. This is Jesus, who is God, the Supreme One. And as a little boy, He continued in subjection to them. That's not a bad thing, is it? Underneath His parents' authority while He was growing up. What it doesn't mean is being inferior. It doesn't mean obeying. It doesn't mean the husband exercising in a very overbearing, authoritative way. Matter of fact, I think the moment a husband says, you have to subject to me, he has just blown it. Because he can't demand that. Um, so, anyway, then it says fitting in the Lord. Uh, in the Greek, it means obligation. Something that you're, It's a necessary type obligation. It's a duty that we're to do to the Lord. It's just something that he instructs. He says, this is what the Lord has designed. This is the perfect way. It's a good thing. It's beautiful. It's honorable. It's the thing to do. It's fitting. Now we move on. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be embittered against them. Boy, that's a quick sentence for each one. Uh, Ephesians goes much longer. Here the commandment for the husband is just as radical as that commandment to the wives. Maybe more radical. It's not found anywhere. I have never found it in any extra biblical literature in all my days. Might be something out there, but I don't see this command to men. And they might say, well, yeah, you're supposed to love your wife. But we're talking about the agape love of Christ to them. Uh, This is the only place where you're going to find these instructions. Man, if we could just hand this out. (laughs) <laughs> to the unbelieving world. Can you imagine how many homes could be saved? <laughs> if the Word of Christ is really dwelling in. Okay. Uh, agapate is... You've heard of agape, right? Self-sacrifice. It is deep affection. It's viewing the wife with deep affection. Viewing her, and this is a little bit different, as a sister in the Lord as a sister in the Lord. Because you're equal together, right? In in the sense that Christians uh, neither male nor female, neither slave nor free man. We're we're all equal there. Even though the roles are still there, 
He's not saying there's no men or women anymore, or husbands or wives anymore, however you want to put that forth. But he's just saying the roles are different, but you are equal. And so we get that across. It's a loving service. And boy, this kind of ethic goes light years, way beyond any other kind of teaching out there by all of the counselors, if they don't use this truth. Boy, would it be ridiculous for a husband to demand submission from his wife if he was not radically loving her? And I don't know how many times, people, I have been in a situation where I was trying to use God's Word, counseling, however you want to do it, with people, men, uh, who were getting ready to divorce their wives or vice versa and They'd tell all the bad things about their wife. They never start with themselves. And never do say anything about themselves. If they do, um, it really comes back to the wife. And the thing is, the wife is bound to him. So they're one. Why would he be blasting himself, right? That's why I said, hey, you're on the same team. You're making yourself look bad by talking about her in a bad way. So... I think that as I have counseled them, they did not want to face up to where the truth really was lying. And they didn't understand what their deal was to do, was to love them. Love them. And then you say, well, do you remember the story of Hosea? And they go, oh yeah, well don't mention that. <laughs> And all of a sudden, the Word of God doesn't mean anything. And these are the people who say they believe that the Word of God is the Word of God. And then when you give them the real truth, no matter how loving you try to do it, and you point it to this, it's like, they're not going to bend. That's a shame, because you can't get any further with that. Uh, It's uh, understanding the world around her. The man has to understand her. First Peter three seven talks about an understanding and try to get on her level, see where she's at. Hard to do because see we're selfish and we like to see where we're at and how we've been treated and mistreated and whatever. Right? Warren Wiersbe says the measure of a man's love is not seen only in gifts or words, but in acts of sacrifice and concern for her happiness and welfare. Now that's getting the selfishness out of the matter, isn't it? So anyway, I know a lot of husbands will start using this Ephesians 5 passage in the Colossians and said, see, she's supposed to be subject to me. And I have demanded for her to be subject. Got news for you. That'll never work. Just forget about it. If you're going to continue to do that, it's not going to happen. You're not getting anywhere. Can't do it. Then he says, not embittered. Do not be embittered against them. Um, that's dealing with something bitter in taste. So that's that's the idea. You know, things can taste bitter. Remember this in Revelation eight eleven. The name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. Now that the thought of this verse eleven, I'm not going to even try to get into. There are probably one hundred thousand uh, ideas and comments on this that will all be different. But I will tell you that he's emphasizing something: waters bitter. You ever drink any bitter water? Bitter whatever? (laughs) Bitter is uh, not tasty. Don't call your wives honey and then act like you're bitter. (laughs) Right? Can't can't happen at the same time. Um, A husband is not to have ill will toward his wife. Not to have ill will. Uh, A root of bitterness. That is is what poisons the relationship. Uh, Water that has been poisoned, it's bitter. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, right? Just so let that not continue. Moving on. Verse 20. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Children, be obedient. Children can be uh, a term for anybody that uh, comes from the parents. 
especially basically the ones who live on, uh, at home underneath the, the parents' authority in, in that sense. And so that, that's the thought. Um, children, and by the way, this word, uh, children be obedient, is definitely different than the word in verse 18 where wives are to be subject, hupotasso, voluntarily submitting yourself. This one is to hear under, to listen under. You listen to them, then you be obedient. Um, their responsibility really comes down to one thing. They don't have to worry about what the Lord's will is. They don't have to worry about the income coming in to the family. They shouldn't worry about really anything. One thing, and this is what Carolyn impressed upon our boys as they grew up, and it was, you have to be obedient. Because it says it right here. And and she would uh, emphasize a promise. There's a promise with that. You will live long, right? <laughs> Think of the Ten Commandments. Uh, but... Uh, if, if the parents are submitted to the Lord, then, then there's an authority already happening. Authority and submission. And so if one is following what the Word of God is, not that it's a guarantee, it's, you know, it's a general rule, but not every child is going to grow up being obedient and under authority, but we are to teach that. And if they're submitted to the Lord... The parents will never ask those kids to do anything that is sinful and wrong, right? So it's going to be a good thing. All the child has to do is obey the parents. So the child who does not learn to obey his parents, and here's where we go, is not likely to grow up obeying any authority. So when it comes to go to school, he's not going to learn authority there, especially in our times. He will. Uh, the whole breakdown of our culture is seen whenever these little kids grow up, and as they're growing up, they have lack of discipline in the home, and they are not going to obey as far as the schools are concerned. If they don't obey at home, they're not going to obey the legal authority. They're going to break the law, and they don't care about the authority that's put there. Uh, the government, however it is, they don't have an authority over them. And anytime anybody puts any authority over them, they do not want it. Authority and submission. Boy, it's such a key. So parents who don't discipline and show authority are going to have a problem. And if parents have been taught discipline, then they can't uh, really exercise the authority that is put down. You'll see this in Ephesians 6, 1, as it uh, expands into that. Exodus 20, verse 12, the Ten Commandments. It's right there. You know, children, obey your parents. In the Proverbs, you get that continually over and over. It's good for, it's good for kids to read Proverbs and to realize what God has there. Children need to know one thing. Obey. That's God's will. It says right here, Children, be obedient to your parents in all things and everything. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. If you do this, whether you'll be 5 years old, whether you'll be 10, whether you'll be 15, whether you'll be 20 or whatever, this is the whole motive. If they're taught the Word of God and they discover that, hey, I do want God's will. What is God's will? What, what job does He want me to have? And this and that. Well, I may not necessarily you know, what, what college am I supposed to am I supposed to go to college what am I supposed to do here after I get out of here right well this is one thing where you want to be you may not have those answers and you may go through the rest of your life and say I wonder if I missed his will back there well, you don't have to worry about that right now just saying okay I just want to be well pleasing to the Lord if I'm pleasing him that's the main motivation for everything isn't it Sometimes we don't always know. Did God want me to do this? Or he want me to do that? And He may not ever show you. Wherever you're at at the time, I think, is where he can, He's going to use you. And uh, so, um, the pattern is for the parents to, to give them truth and that they would start to know the will of God through His Word. And uh, That's so key. Then, he's got a word for the parents. This is verse 20. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Fathers, or the word is not only fathers there. In the Greek, it can actually mean parents. The word is patares. In the way that's used here, um, 
And in Hebrews 11.23, you have the same word. There it deals with parents rather than just fathers. I think it, it definitely impresses upon the father who can exasperate his children, but so can the mothers. Parents have obligations to the children. So if we can be helpful at all to other families that are out there, it would be good to tell them, hey, listen, here's what God has designed. Look, this is a perfect plan. This is how, this is how it's supposed to work. Right? This is how it's supposed to work. Do not exasperate. To stir them up. To provoke. To irritate. To nag. Don't break their spirit. You ever seen a, a horse? But bet you Debbie could tell us that. Where people have actually broken the spirit of a horse. Yeah, they might be obedient to you from here and there, but they're so fearful of you that that spirit that they have, yeah, they had a lot of energy. And at first, they might want to buck you off your horse, but if you train them right in the right way, well then, uh, they'll still have that spirit, but it will be under control. Uh, exasperating is uh, it can be from irritability, it's from being grouchy, maybe coming up with over-strict rules. Being inconsistent, one time saying one thing, another time just it means something else, and or to keep them at a distance. That happens a lot. Uh, I've understood that today. I think the average time between parents and children, when both parents work and they come home, is a grand total. It's hard to believe. Twenty-eight seconds a day. How can you have? any kind of relationship with 28 seconds a day. They don't have any time for them anymore. Criticism. And if they do, they will lose heart. So he says this, um, so that they will not lose heart. The home ought to be the happiest place on earth. That ought to be a place. Whether we're individual because there we seek refuge and we can go to the Lord and talk. Or whether we be a whole family or a couple, it ought to be the place, best place in the world. But there are children who are discouraged. They're despaired. And uh, the Christian home is a place of encouragement. As uh, Christ has taught, a child should find refuge there. As a whole out there, boy, I, I guess it's not happening, is it? Oh, it's sad. We could go on from one story to the next to the next. We could go on and on telling about all the kids that have been abused. And they turn around and shoot the parents. Just amazing what's going on. Now we go on to part two. And it's dealing with slaves. And that sounds strange to us today. Slaves in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external services, those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Stop there for a moment. And just for a moment, remember, slaves made up half the population in in the Roman world. Paul never advocated rebellion against that. And are we saying that the Bible is saying it's okay to have slavery? Not necessarily, but that's the way that society, that's the way the government was set up. And how would it have been if the church had said, let's revolt, let's go up against it, and if they, if they don't believe what we do, let's shoot them, or, or let's, let's take our bows and arrows and you know, let's, let's go and raid them. You know? And that's never how God had that planned. That was the social order of the day. This is incredible for Paul to tell them to keep obeying their masters. And see, this is why some people have problems with Paul. When they read this verse 18, and then they read this verse 19, and then they read verse 22, and on down here, people really say that Paul's a bigot, and that was only for that time. This this is just absolutely craziness. They will say this this and this. These are people that are to be Christians that would say these kind of things. What he's saying is whatever situation you're in, and this sounds drastic. He says when you if you find yourself in slavery and think about it, half the people were slaves. Well, at least half the Christians were probably slaves. And and maybe half or some of them were slave owners. And now Paul is saying something that is so totally different than what is in the culture that um, 
whatever your situation is, I want you to be realizing you are blessed. And I want you to please the Lord. I want you to fear me through this circumstance that you're in. And in fact, Onesimus, which was a slave, is one who brought this letter to the Colossians. Isn't that interesting? And Paul tells uh, actually the slave owner as he's bringing it there, um, you know that you know to, to treat him well, receive him well. And at the same time, he's not saying, "Hey, you need to dismiss him. He's a Christian now, and you can't be a slave owner, and he can't be a slave." You think, well, that's what Paul should have done. And he's not commending that we be slaves or to take on slaves, but that's the way the situation was. I do know that. Uh, many of the Christians who found out that things change when you're Christians all of a sudden freed their slaves. But then some of those slaves as Christians loved their masters so well that they just wanted to stay with them and, and work for them. And uh, so, you know, it's, uh, that things change. Social, social reform, right? Slavery or freedom? Whatever that relationship that you have, make it a godly one. That Christianity is so upside down sometimes, isn't it? You think, why didn't it come in there and just just reform things right away? Well, eventually it did, but it took a while. The main thing was that people would know Christ. And that is our big order for the day. The biggest command that we have as we obey Christ as we're left to do as we go about our work at home and our work at work or schooling and education or whatever we do during the day, our biggest concern is that we know Christ and that as we come into contact with people out there that they would know Christ. And so that's, that's what we're to give us, that kind of truth. That's why one of the reasons why you actually have a job. I think so often many of us become... I think so overwhelmed by the things that happen at workplace and we don't get rewarded for what we should be getting for the amount of work that we put in and what we do compared to other people. There's so many different situations where we are wronged. (laughs) But at the same time, knowing the sovereign God, He can use that for you to be an amazing witness in the workplace without even saying anything. Because for the most part, we're there to work for those people and we're not paid to give the gospel. But if we get the opportunity and it's allowed and we get that situation, that's nice to be able to do that. People need to hear the word as well as see it in our lives. But um, work is such an important thing in our lives. Uh, Many of us work... Eight hours a day. We have eight hours to our own selves. Eight hours of sleep. So that's a third. Of course, that's through the week. We might have a couple of days off, but that's quite a bit of our lives are in the workplace. That's so vital and so important. So, in order for Christ to bring fullness to our lives, He must bring His fullness to what we do for a living. And I know most people. That work for the state. I don't know how many times I've had people come up to me and, and tell me, uh, believer, unbeliever, you know, and oh, they, they, you know, they, they can't stand it because the people are, what is it? They they want to move up and they'll do anything they can and they'll step on people. Of course, the all the things that are unchristian like happen in the workplace, and and you'll you might hear terrible language and lifestyles and all the evils that are happening and they'll tell about the party in life that they have. It just goes on and on and you see those things and you go, wow, how can I be in this situation? I know. Isn't it hard? It really is. It's really difficult. You can say, Lord, why am I here? How how do I get to this place? And He says, well, while you're there, make the best of it. Because I'm using you here. This place was not to bring you so you could make money, so you could pay your bills. Pretty important. That's really not why you're there. As he says, 
Slaves in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, on your own earth, not with external service, not just outwardly, as those who merely please men. They they work nine to five or whatever the hours are, Monday through Friday, and these days Monday through Sunday, you know, uh, twenty hours a week, a couple hours a day maybe. Not merely to please men. You're not there to please them, although that's really what you want to happen, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Now that really brings things into the way that the Lord has in mind. We are to do these things from our heart, fearing the Lord. That's not natural. That's not (laughs) See, now you start putting the Lord into it here. This is where it's incredible to think that this is a an evil world, a sinful world, and yet God puts us into places where it's there's just evil and corruption going on. And yet he says, Fear the Lord while you're there. I'm saying this to encourage us. Because we have to face things in the world which we don't wouldn't it be better if we could just meet together every day and just be fellowshipping and worshiping with the Lord and we didn't have to go out to earn money to, uh, to pay our bills and we'd all just be worshiping God. What a novel thought. Matter of fact, that probably will happen one of these days. Oh, He'll give us jobs. But there'll be perfect jobs where there's no sin. We don't have to hear all the gossip that people are talking about. I know that's, that's what happens. That's what goes on. That's people, if they're not believers, what are they going to be doing? They're going to be doing it what unbelievers do. They have sinful minds and sinful hearts. That's what they live for. That's what their nature is. And we have to hear that. We are ambassadors representing the King of Kings. Our home is not here. It's there. We've already seen that in Colossians. But we have to be in this muck and mire. And all at the same time, glorifying God and just saying, the Lord has put me here and it's tough and it's hard and there's some things there that I have a hard time dealing with. That's okay. But you know what? God's going to use this until He moves me along if He does that. Now, think of what the slave is thinking when Paul is saying this. He writes this. He says, Onesimus, uh, <clears throat> I know you're a slave. Yeah. You take that back to your master. And by the way, I know there's other slaves there. And here it's, I'm going to tell them to obey the master. Boy, I bet that was a big hit. Who is this Paul? <laughs> what is he saying? We're Christians. We ought to be out from underneath this. You know, <laughs> I'm tired of this. I've been here for 20 years. I can't stand it. Hey, and if they are released, well, praise the Lord, great. Where do I go next? <laughs> Christian slave. A Christian slave owed complete obedience to his master. And they weren't to take advantage of the master if the master was a Christian. Matter of fact, if anything, they should try to even do a better job. God, what are you asking here? Paul, are you sure you were inspired? This does not seem right. Whatever you do, do your work heartily. As for the Lord, rather than for men, you're doing it. You're doing it for the Lord. If you do it for the Lord, then the men are going to be pleased that you're working for. And then again, they may not. They may not be pleased because maybe you're working better than the other workers, and you know what the other workers then do? They get you in trouble, or they make you look bad because you made them look bad. And I've got a feeling there are a lot of you in here that that has happened, where you have done your job and you've exceeded your job, and other people didn't like that to happen. Maybe the boss didn't like that to happen because you outworked them. We're not supposed to work that hard here. It's it's a strange world we live in, guys. I'm telling you, we are representing the King of Kings to a lot of people who don't know Him. And we're being asked to do some things that are pretty difficult. We should try to do even a better job. 
We're to do our job, whether it is enjoyable or distasteful. Uh, you know, this is easy for me to say because I'm out of a job right now. <laughs> and I can blast everybody here that's working. Some of you are retired, some are not. Some are still working. Some are looking for work like I am. <laughs> some working part-time. And so it's easy for me to say this. And then whenever I worked at the store for many years, um, I really didn't have a lot of people barking over me to do this and do that. So Dennis, what in the world do you know about this? Um, very little. <laughs> um, I've had it pretty easy because I know a lot of you. Really, it, it is. It, it's out in the world. Now where you with Christians, some of you have to do some really unpleasant things. Not ungodly things, but unpleasant. Workers are to have a singleness of heart, full devotion to the position that the Lord has put them in. Full devotion. It could be dull. It could be challenging. It could be interesting. It could be just totally <laughs> uninteresting. I have really no interest in this. But he says to do it all with the heart. Do your work heartily. Eye service. He talks about being men pleasers here. You know, maybe making it whenever the boss is in, doing the best job you can while he's watching, and then as soon as he goes out of the room, and all of a sudden it's like not doing anything. Uh, it's like um, the room is is swept, but the dirt is brushed underneath the carpet. Uh, work breaks, extending them for long periods until the boss returns, and all of those kind of things. Sincerity of heart. We're to put our whole inner man into the effort regardless if anything or anyone is watching you or not. To put it all there. Because who is watching us? And that's why he would say here, fearing the Lord. Because that's really the boss. And I think that is probably the best perspective we can take this with. I get up of a morning... I'm not looking forward to going there. And it is really difficult. I understand. I know. Okay. But then say, okay, I'm working for the Lord. This can help us as we go through this day. The pagan slave served his master because he was bound by fear. And if he was a lowly slave and he had a a bad master, and some of those masters looked upon his slaves as chattel, as cattle, as property, as material goods, and that's all. And they were ones that spoke. They were articulate. But they were no different than any other instrument. They were an articulate instrument. They were in that kind of fear. The Christian slave served his master because he didn't fear the master, but he feared God. To fear God. When we give it our best, We're fearing God because we know that He is watching us. We're glorifying Him when we do that. Now, we can glorify God in the home. We can glorify God in the workplace despite the circumstances. It would be awful easy if the circumstances were easy, but sometimes they're not. Sometimes they are. Whatever the deal is, He says, okay, this is the best way to look at it. Here's the secret. Just fear God. Do our best work because the Lord is the one who is watching us. He's the Master. And now we have that proper kind of fear. Do your work heartily for the Lord. Okay, you just work at home. You don't go out of the home and play. Okay, you wash your floors. You you scrub the pots and the pans. You do the laundry. Maybe you work outside the home and you still do all those things. And he says, do your work heartily as to the Lord. Everything we do, regardless of what we are doing, whether we're serving God, serving men, serving whatever, everything that you do is a noble task. Hmm. A noble task. You are glorifying God when you're just doing some of the most menial things that ever could be. You're at home and you just have to do some dusting. Give glory to God. It's great that we have dust. 
has to be put in its proper place somewhere. It's great that we have the energy, the strength to be able to do what we do. You start counting all that, and that's why he always says in Thanksgiving, right? What a high calling. Scrubbing the pots and the pans. A high call. Give glory to God. So, it's a noble thing. And, and get this. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. You think you're receiving the reward here? Probably not. <laughs> you probably don't feel like you're getting what you, you really need. And I'm just barely getting by. Hey, I'm not even getting by. I'm falling short every month. It's getting, it's getting less and less because the cost of living is, is like this. And my salary is the same. Or less. How can I meet this? And they're not paying us for what we're actually worth, what we're doing compared to what other people are getting or whatever. I know. And there's going to be more of us. I think eventually if it keeps going the way it is, we'll be very blessed to be able to even pay those bills. It could be very serious that we could get into that kind of situation. Not to worry us. Just saying, if, if that came out to be that, what do we do? What do we do? Keep doing the best that you can, glorifying God, realizing that's where He's at. Look for uh, His will. He might have another place for you. And again, He may not. But if you feel like you're not getting enough, and your boss, you already asked, and he doesn't give you that reward, and you don't have any other option of other places to work, and maybe that would be the best to find some other place that could pay you more. But if you don't get that, then and, and you like where you're at, well, you're an heir. H-E-I-R. Not a rabbit. Heir. Heir of eternal rewards. He says, I'll reward you. I might reward you here. But we know He's going to reward us later. So when you don't feel like you're getting what all you deserve... He's going to take care of that. And it goes on the negative side too. Is, uh, it's the Lord whom we serve. For he, does, he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done and that without partiality. So if we don't do what we're supposed to do here, there are consequences because of um, the way that we go about our work there. I think Christians ought to be the best workers of all. Just for the fact of a future reward, we ought to have the best of attitudes. We ought to have the best in dependability. We ought to have the best, be the best in integrity. They may not ever see it that way, but God does. Then again, they may see it. Doesn't matter. If we're that way, then we will please God. And we are assured of eternal compensation. Great reward. There's a warning in 2 Corinthians 5.10 where it talks about the judgment seat of the believers. And if we are not glorifying Him in certain aspects of our lives, uh, rewards will be taken away. We'll be stripped from some rewards. Of eternal life, no. But we're talking about all the things that God wants to give you right here and then, then later. One other one, masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. It's well, easy. He just gives them one verse. He says, treat your slaves, your workers, with justice and fairness. If you do the best that you can and giving them what they deserve or as much as you can, uh, masters, you, you bosses, you're accountable to the Lord just like the slave or the worker. Jesus is the fullness of the universe. We've gone here out from the home to the workplace to regular lives. We want to be full in our relationships. Full of the Word. Full of the Spirit. Spirit-filled people carrying around Christ everywhere we're at. Even though sometimes it really doesn't seem like this is really what God's will is. With that moment, He can certainly use that. He desires that His fullness just overflow to the world. And if we can leave out of here today full of God's 
Spirit and Word. Just let it overflow out of you. Here's what Justin Martyr said. This was about the early church. It's about them being sold in the light, being full. And so, whether you can say, well, none of this really seems to apply to me. Well, it actually does. But saying, wherever you're at in your life, wherever that's at, whether you're young, you're middle-aged, you're old, uh, you work, you don't work, you go to school, don't go to school, you know, all of those things, you take schooling, what have you, you know, all of those kind of things, here's what we do. Just spill over with this kind of thing that changes not only your life, it changes other lives. Here's what Justin Martyr said in the close of this. Our Lord urged us by patience and meekness to lead all from shame and the lust of evil. And this we have to show in the case of many who have come in contact with us, who were overcome and changed from violent and tyrannical characters, either from having watched the constancy of their Christian neighbors, or from having observed the wonderful patience of Christian travelers when overcharged, or from doing business with Christians. We are to be lights shining in the darkness. Okay, you said none of this applies to me today. Yes, it does. Because wherever you go, they should see Christ in your lives. And if you have neighbors, they should be able to say, he's a Christian. Yeah, but you know what? They have been very good neighbors. You know, you, you want something that they they know who you are. But if you send signals that you are like the world, and even worse, it's even going to sound worse to them because they're going to use that against you. They're watching you. But even more important, the Lord is watching us, and we are to fear Him because that brings Him glory, and that's good for us. What do we get out of it? We inherit the world. <laughs> we inherit all that God has. Let's pray. Thank you.